T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is 8.07 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy along with uh, producers David Josephson and Shaletta Brundage. And I was just saying how I was thrilled that it's daylight saving time and we get to sleep an extra hour because I have to get up at 3.30 in the morning on Sundays to go to TV and 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m., the big politics show. And I said this is going to be great because we fall back. So an extra hour, I mean 3.30 will actually be like 4.30. And then Shaletta goes – and I got to work an extra hour because she's here overnights. So <laughs> I didn't even think of that. So poor Shaletta. Yes, you got to figure out that, how to do that time card right, Shaletta. All right now, finally, two days away, election day, finally here. Joining me right now, one of my favorite guests, the one and only Professor David Schultz. Can you believe the election's almost here? It's very close. And, and we were mentioning off the air, I've got to tell you about my all-time favorite political cartoon. It's a very, very old one from a long time ago. And it's in the days when pollsters still went door to door. And it shows a picture of a pollster knocking on a door, yelling out if the election were held today. And the person inside says, I would be really grateful. <laughs> and, and I think for many of us um, who have even who have even paid even marginal attention oh, to funny. television or radio and watched all those ads, we will be grateful. Right. And, and you know, I, we're going to break down all the races here because I think a lot of people will be very grateful because the ads have been really annoying. One place I did go to, I've done a couple of stories in western Wisconsin, not today, but, um, you know, on, on the governor's race, they've got a, a lot going on there as well. But those folks in western Wisconsin, uh, they get all our ads because they're in the Twin Cities media market. So think how they must feel. Oh, they're getting our ads. They're getting our ads. ads. They can't vote for it, and and so they're they're triply annoyed. But they did get a visit today from Mike Pence in Hudson, uh, the vice president of the United States, coming to campaign for Scott Walker, that western area of Wisconsin, a big Republican area. But Tony Evers is not seating it. He's not giving up. He was in the Hudson area as well earlier this week. Your thoughts about this race and and Democrats would just love to knock off Scott Walker, wouldn't they? They would love to be able to knock him off. But I want to mention two things here as we're getting to talking about Wisconsin. What's interesting is Mike Pence came, flew into the Twin Cities, went over to Hudson, but isn't campaigning in Minnesota. And that should tell you something. Either that the Republicans are exceedingly confident about Minnesota or have decided that in the closing, what, 96 hours or so, they've got to allocate their resources in a certain way, and they are more worried about um, Scott Walker or believe that that's a closer race than the Jeff Johnson Waltz one. And I think that's the more likely one, because um, Evers and Walker are very, very close, uh, and I think that's partly why we're seeing um, the, um, the visit by Pence, because it is so, so intensely close over there as a race. And the polls are still listing it as a toss-up, although I would give a slight nod to Scott Walker still at this point. Really? Okay, because some of the earlier polls, the polls have been sort of all over the map right. here, and, and the early ones showed Evers ahead. But 
Republicans insist they are energized. Um, you know, I did talk. Actually, you know, everybody, all the candidates I've talked to tonight um, say that they're encountering energized crowds. Uh, it's interesting, though, that I did talk with Dave Hughes, uh, who's the Republican in the 7th Congressional District. And I just talked with uh, Commissioner Jeff Johnson, who, of course, is the Republican candidate uh, for governor of Minnesota. And they both say that the Kavanaugh hearings were really critical mm-hmm. in terms of energizing their base. There's no question about it, is that the Kavanaugh hearings really transformed how active and engaged the Republicans are going to be. If, we, if, if polls were to be believed, there was almost a 10-point aggregate enthusiasm, enthusiasm gap pardon me, between Democrats and Republicans prior to the Kavanaugh hearing. Um, for the most part, that gap narrowed to almost um, um, statistically insignificant at this point, and we've seen significantly um, greater mobilization for Republicans. Now, the interesting question becomes, um, outside of Minnesota, where you have registration deadlines for registering to vote, um, the energizing by the Kavanaugh hearings um, might have come too late to get some Republicans registered to vote. But as we know, and you were talking about this with Angie Craig in your first hour tonight, you know, that we get you know, between 10 and 15 percent of the voters who vote on who vote in Minnesota um, register to vote um, on election day. So, so it is possible, even with a last, relatively last minute event such as the Kavanaugh hearings, um, to to have that turn into Republican mobilization. Right, and, and and people here in Minnesota have been voting, you know, for, for weeks now. Uh, it started in, in I think September 22nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, you and I talked about this. I interviewed you earlier in the week about whether this is just, you know, people getting used to early voting, which was passed, or no excuses early voting, which was passed in 2014, or will there actually be a bigger turnout? And you, you, your response was kind of a little bit of both. Right, because we do know that the evidence is suggesting some spreading out, that people who are very energized will go and vote early. Candidates are wanting to get them in the bank, so to speak, by saying, if you know who you're going to vote for, vote now, they don't have to worry about them later. So we have... Some evidence based upon past elections, Minnesota nationwide, that early voting isn't necessarily an indication of, of um, overall turnout. But also this year, what we are seeing is if we look at where the early registration is occurring, or where registration is occurring and where voting is occurring, especially in Hennepin and Ramsey counties, this is significant because two years ago, the, the turnout in Ramsey and Hennepin County was down significantly, and that led in part to the closeness of the, the race between Clinton um, and, and Trump in the state, where Clinton did win, but the narrowest margin for a Democrat at the presidential level since Mondale took the state back in 84. So the fact that we're seeing in Hennepin and Ramsey County this significant uptick, both in registration and in voting, does seem to be suggesting that we're going to see um, an unusually higher percentage um, for voting in midterm elections than we might have seen in a while. Uh, let's talk about some of the individual races. Let's let's start with the Minnesota governor's race. You know, we I just had uh, Commissioner Johnson on, Jeff Johnson, the Republican candidate for governor, and I asked him about the polls because all the polls. I don't think there's been one poll that has shown him up uh, leading Tim Walls. They've all consistently shown. Congressman Walls uh, with a lead. I think that the average of all the polls that have been run this election cycle in the Walls-Johnson race show Tim Walls up by seven. And Jeff Johnson's response was, listen, I was down by 19 to Tim Pawlenty and I won by nine. 
That's a pretty good response. That's a very good response. In fact, I was going to say, at one point, I think he was down by 34 points to, um, to Tim Pawlenty, and he wound up winning. Uh, yes, I, th- I, think that's, I think he can make that argument there. And there are lots of reasons to be critical about the recent you know, KSTP Channel 5, as well as the Minneapolis um, Star Tribune and NPR M- polls. There's some problems with them. If we want to talk about those later, we can. Um, um, so, so Jeff Johnson... Well, let me, let me ask you, what, what are your thoughts about the problems? Because I think, I think this is so interesting because you, you, you're... I mean, you really go down into... You don't just look at the, the poll. You, you actually go delve down into their methodology. Yeah, I actually teach. I actually teach survey research, and so so this is something that I I get you know I tell my students um, I get nerded out by this stuff. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, nerd, nerd us out here because I I think it's important, and, and I think there's a reason that some of these polls are, are are so off. Right. So let's go back to the Star Tribune NPR poll from a couple of weeks ago, and there were several things I didn't like about that poll. One of them was I think it was had about sixty one percent of those who were polled came from the metro area, Twin Cities, metro area, Hennepin, Ramsey County. Historically, we get about 53 to 55% who vote from the Twin Cities metro region. So that would suggest, what, a poll that was heavily biased towards, what, the urban area. Second, heavily biased towards Democrats. Towards Democrats. Second, what the poll did was to survey, and it had... If I remember correctly, it had 60% landline and 40% cell phone, and that should be actually reversed. You know, most polls are saying now that it ought to be at least, most pollsters are saying you should do at least 60% landline. I'm 60% cell phone, 40% landline, and there's an age bias there. People who have landlines are, um, are more likely to be older. Um, um, we know over 50% of population, including in Minnesota, doesn't even have a landline anymore. I, I feel like I'm the only one in the newsroom that has, has a landline. Well, I but... have one, too, so I, can <laughs> talk, so I can talk to you on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, so, so that bias is towards Republican. And then at the same time, another bias in that poll was the fact that it doesn't account for the fact, two other things, it doesn't account for the fact that people in rural Minnesota vote in higher percentages um, than in the urban areas, which means they sort of vote disproportionate to their weight. And then also, as we pointed out, day of election registration makes it hard to figure out who's actually going to vote. So those are all problems with that poll. Channel 5 just released the poll, KSTP, and what they have there is it's, it's an Internet poll, which means it's totally done on the Internet, which, of course, then what? Has a bias towards Democrats. But at the same time, it had nearly 65% of the voters coming from the metro region, even more of a bias to Democrats. So, so I would almost completely discount that poll um, in terms of being you know, you know, out of whack. Right. Well, then Jeff Johnson could well be right. He could, he could be right. <laughs> but I come back to now the question of what I'm looking for is who, who is coming in nationally to campaign for whom in the closing 96 hours. And... Either, either Jeff Johnson is right, and he's very confident, and therefore Pence doesn't need to campaign for him here, or the Republicans have concluded at this point that, that they're not going to win the governorship in Minnesota and that they need to send their, their, their big guns, such as Pence, over to Wisconsin. Both equally possible hypotheses. Um, I'm leaning probably more towards the latter in terms of thinking that, that even, even if it were 
I, I can't imagine um, it would have gone from seven points down to suddenly Jeff Johnson has a has a sure thing on this one. And, and, and so I'm I'm more inclined to think that Waltz has a lead that um, is, is is great enough that Pence decided not to spend a couple of hours here campaigning with Jeff Johnson. All right. Uh, it is 818 in the Twin Cities, uh, chatting with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the two big U.S. Senate races uh, in Minnesota. Uh, that's uh, coming up on News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 8.22. Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz. We are breaking down all the big races here. The U.S. Senate race, we have two U.S. Senate seats up. Uh, I think the Klobuchar seat uh, is pretty well locked up. Wouldn't you agree? I would say so. Unless the polls are completely uh, whacked out at this point, I would say that she has has a victory. I think it's probably the easiest prediction we can make. Right. Um, and last time, I think, was at the 87 counties. I think she won 85 of them. I mean, it certainly looks like she's steamrolling that. I mean, the, the, her lead in the polls over Representative Jim Newberger, uh, 20 to 30 points, which is really a, a remarkable, uh, remarkable run. Um, the other Senate race, uh, consistently, Senator Tina Smith, this is, of course, the Al Franken seat, uh, the seat that, that was held by Al Franken just a year ago. Right. I mean, he was still, this This hadn't really even broken a year ago, or maybe it was just breaking a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is a lot closer. And judging by what you said about some of these polls, where you think that they have taken too much, it's weighted too heavily to the metro area, which is heavily Democratic, this could be a lot closer. I think it's a lot closer than we think. And it's you know this this is one where my my instinct you know at some point you you have to go sort of go in your instinct at some point in terms of looking at campaigning and so forth thinks that with the high turnout that I expect among Democrats this year uh, statewide that Tina Smith will will you know will probably prevail but this is going to be way closer than I think many people think and it wouldn't be impossible for. Um, for Housley to pull an upset in this one, um, but 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 again, it's it's the, the polling I would say is is less conclusive on this one, you know, given some of the biases that I pointed out here. Right, um, and, and the last poll, the Star Tribune Mason Dixon poll, the last poll is Smith up by six, which is within the margin of error. The average of all the polls, I'm looking at it right now, uh, nine point five for Smith. But again, you've mentioned your concerns about some of those polls. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because when you talk to people, especially around the state, really what we're hearing again and again is, you know, that people on the Iron Range are energized. People here in the metro are energized. And it, it looks like some of these races are going to be very, very close. But this one, I think, I agree with you. I think, I think it's closer than it, it looks. And I think... Uh, I think Senator Smith, um, well, certainly she's a very capable person. Is not is not somebody who's just she's not a natural campaigner. Well, it's it's her first it's her first 
political campaign on her own. That's right. Because because when you run for lieutenant governor, you're not in the, you're not primarily in the limelight. You're no, really, you're not. You're right. And and so this this is the first time on her own. And again, I you you've you've spoken to her, you've interviewed her. You know, I've met her. Um, she's a wonderful person. But again, I don't consider her to be a a naturally comfortable campaigner. Right. Well, she's somebody who, for years, has has sort of operated brilliantly behind the scenes yes. and and made everybody else look good. Yes. And that is a skill set that is very important. Uh, and and but it, it's it's different when you're the one that's running. Um, so I think that there's that. Right. Well, I was also going to say that it, you know, and some of the listeners know know that I you know I I've worked in local government, and there's sort of a joke there that people who sort of work in administration oftentimes don't venture to the dark side. That is to be the candidate. <laughs> It's kind of a joke there, but the point is, is that the skill sets for being, let's say, on the administration side versus the skill sets to be on the elected official side are very, very different skill sets. Right. Um, let's talk about the other statewide race that certainly has gotten a lot of attention, uh, the attorney general's race. And I understand that Mike Pence did meet with Doug Wardlow when he got off the plane today. So obviously a, a little boost there for Doug Wardlow. This one is really an interesting one. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the Star Tribune chose not to endorse either candidate. Yeah, not only did they choose not to endorse, but they also, this was one of the more, you read it too, one of the more caustic, I think brutal um, um, non-endorsements for two candidates that I have ever seen. Because a lot of times, papers, if they're not going to endorse, will just not endorse and not say anything. But here they explain why they weren't endorsing. Um, said I think neither of them were qualified to be attorney general. And then by the time you get to the end of the piece, really sort of take a task to the parties and say, you need to rethink your endorsement process. I mean, this is, this, I mean, tell me if you had the same view as I did. This is a pretty brutal um, opinion. Absolutely. And I kind of wonder if that, that, that view, and I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know to what degree people do pay attention to newspaper endorsements, but I do think that that reflects something that, that I'm hearing as I go out and about and interview voters and cover some of these races, is that there is a dissatisfaction with, with both candidates. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder, is it possible that people will go and they'll vote for, in the governor's race, they'll vote for the Senate seats, they'll vote for members of Congress, they'll vote for school board, they'll vote on the referendums. Maybe people will skip this race. I am suspecting they're going to. Again, even though I mentioned the Star Tribune poll um, had some flaws in it, if you pick through it, you will note in that poll from a couple weeks ago a, a high dissatisfaction among suburban women, especially for Keith Ellison, you know, because they're concerned about um, you know the allegations of, of, of you know you know domestic abuse you know against I know against him and just a variety of concerns there. But at the same time, that poll suggested a concern with Doug Wardlow. I wouldn't be surprised, exactly as you're suggesting here, to see a lot of people vote governor, vote for a lot of other positions. But when they get to the attorney general, um, they they don't fill in it. And I was going to say the same thing. I'm getting too. You know, I I, tra- I travel the state a lot. I would think if that happens, I think that that helps Keith Ellison. I don't know. I don't know. That's a that's a that's a great question. I I don't know. Wh- and, and the reason I say that is I think that the people in in the metro area, especially in his old congressional district, will vote for him. Yeah. But it's it, it's 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 really it's it's a difficult one. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting that finally. 
the Ellison campaign has actually gone after Wardlow and gone, gone after Wardlow's record, which I think is fair game. Is fair I'm just game. surprised they haven't done it earlier. Well, they couldn't do it for two. They just couldn't do it for the first reason that the sort of the whole allegations again, you know, from his ex-girlfriend were hanging around him for so long. And two, I think for a long time. Keith Ellison didn't take Doug Wardlow seriously enough, you know, thinking that, that this was going to be a pretty right. easy victory. This is like running in the 5th Congressional District where he won by, I think, 40 points the last time. Exactly. That in many ways, Keith Ellison has never really had a, a difficult campaign, you know, whether from days from the state legislature or running for Congress or even in the primary for Attorney General. They've all been pretty easy. So I think he kind of took Doug Wardlow for, for granted here. And it really wasn't until I think you know the last couple of weeks where the polls, you know, again how now had a you know a a, what, a seven point lead if I remember correctly that I think he really started to bring out the big guns and just think about what's happened in the last what forty eight hours. It's been what um, Walter Mondale, Skip Humphrey, former Supreme Court Justice Paul Anderson. Um, we're we're seeing some pretty significant guns come out there now. Are they going to change many names? Or change many votes. I don't know. That's I mean, you have to sort of wonder both with the newspaper endorsements. What do they mean anymore? And B at this stage of the game, you know, in the last you know seventy two hours or so, um, you know how you know, how many people's minds are 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 up are, are undecided at this point, and are there enough undecided at this point that it can sort of tip the race? I just don't know. All right. Well, but, but I, that, that's, that's one where it's going to be very, very interesting. Listen, it, but, if I, but if we can do sort of the prediction there that I, I, I think Wardlow um, wins that race unless, um, that again, the turnout is just so heavy, you know, in, in the Twin Cities metro area, um, you know, that, that Keith Ellison supporters come out in high enough percentages and they do vote for Keith Ellison um, and not skip him, um, then at that point I see he can win the race. All right. Listen, uh, we have to take a a quick break. We want to give you some weather. And then when we come back, we're going to go down uh, with Professor David Schultz on on these congressional races. Now five of them ranked as, you know, potentially in play. So keep it right here, folks. News Radio 830 WCCO. All right. Election night, election day, just a couple of days away. Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University helping me break it down. I, I guess we should just run through these congressional races because I really feel that that's what sort of this election in some ways has, has been about is is the enormous stakes of, of these congressional seats in Minnesota. And it's really remarkable when you think we only have eight of them and five apparently are in play. Five are in play. We have the greatest percentage of congressional seats in play in the United States of any state in the country, unless, of course, you've got a state like you know has one you know one congressional seat, and then of course it would be you know you know 100 percent of them. But but we have just in terms of the percentage, five out of eight, and actually in actual raw numbers, we're up there with like California and Pennsylvania in terms of total number of of, let's say, congressional seats that really are in play. And in so many ways we've talked about before, uh, Minnesota has really become a, a, a microcosm of, of American politics to where we are fairly evenly divided in terms of um, partisan breakdown, in terms of 
what percentage of voters in the state identify as Democrat versus Republican. You know, we've had very competitive legislate, legislative seats with the control flipping back and forth. And we've got very distinct political regions in the state that have become increasingly more competitive over time. And so, yes, we do have five. And, and, and think about it. Let's, let us say, before we even get to the particular seats, let us say all five of those flip party control. And we also know that, um, that we're going to have, we're not even talking about, you know, um, Keith Ellison's, seat, you know, leaving his seat, um, and there's the, the race, you know, um, to replace him. Um, uh, so we're going to have a new member of Congress there. But if, if we were to have five seats flip, plus the one we know is going to flip in Minneapolis, um, we would have six out of our eight seats flipping in the state of Minnesota. Um, that's pretty remarkable. And what that would also mean down the line, we would probably have one of the least senior congressional delegations. You, you pointed that out to me, and I hadn't really even thought about that. Yeah, where seniority means absolutely everything, um, that we know we're going to have at least three. And, you know, we're going to have somebody new in the fifth, um, um, which is, you know, Keith Ellison's you know, leaving that. We know that um, Tim Waltz is leaving his. We know that Rick Nolan's leaving his. So we know three right off the bat. That's going to happen no matter what, because there's no incumbent running there. So almost at that point, we're at three out of our eight. Um, and for reasons that we talk about here in a few minutes here, we're going to have perhaps maybe, you know, a few more flip at this point. Um, again, that would put us pretty low in terms of seniority in the new Congress. And again, where seniority is absolutely everything, um, our most senior people, per, senior person would probably be at that point, I'm thinking Betty McCollum um, in, in the House of Representatives, um, assuming all the other ones. Or, are, well, Colin Peterson. Or Colin Peterson. Yeah. If Colin Peterson were to win, and I, I do think he's going to win, um, I think if I, I checked recently, I think he's about 37th in seniority at this point. Um, right. But if he were to lose, um, then I think it would be Betty McCollum would be the senior member of our delegation. Then after that, the next senior, assuming everybody else lost, um, would be probably somewhere down to um, Tom Emmer, who, if I remember correctly, is in the low 200s or 300s right now. So it, this, this would not be a lot of po- power um, in terms of seniority for the Minnesota delegation. Well, let's, let's start with that 7th Congressional District because we did have uh, the Republican <clears throat> candidate on, Dave Hughes, earlier. And the, the stir in this race is that Real Clear Politics, which is a very respected website, uh, moved that this week into the toss-up category. And I asked Dave Hughes, uh, do you know why you were moved into the toss-up category? And he said that they actually tried to contact Real Clear Politics to get an answer to that because there's been no independent polling there. Mm-hmm. But you do have this this issue here in that district where logically um, you've got this veteran congressman who's been there for 20-plus years mm-hmm. since 1990 or 1991 mm-hmm. and – Donald Trump, and he's a Democrat, Congressman right. Colin Peters is a Democrat, and Donald Trump won this district by 31 percentage points. Yeah, he won it really big. Now, I should also mention the fact that I double-checked today, the Cook political report has it still listed as leaning Democrat, okay. so not as toss-up. Um, um, but you're, but you're, so it's a really good question. We talked about this the other day when you interviewed me, um, and I think the main thing has to be at this point a combination of of the fact that Trump did win it so big, and perhaps there's so much 
energy being generated with the Republican base right now that perhaps that district, if it comes out in very strong numbers and votes straight party, will will what vote straight, you know, straight for the, you know, Republican candidates at that point. And that's, that's a possibility. And that's the only thing that I can think of in terms of moving that over into the um, toss up for, you know, for, you know, for the um, real clear politics. Okay. Well, let's, let's go clockwise around the state then. Let's go to the eighth congressional district. The polls here have shown a shift uh, with Pete Stauber opening up a lead here over uh, Joe Rodinovich, Rodinovich getting hammered by negative ads. Yeah, I think that's. I think the that district has again. It went. I think what plus fifteen for Trump two years ago, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, it is a district that um, has really changed quite a bit, both from redistricting. We know where it now includes part of what I call the northern northern conservative suburbs of the Twin Cities, um, but the Iron Range itself has shifted much in the same way as we've seen some other, you know, traditional, you know, let's say, you know, working class or, or labor areas in the United States. In many ways, the Iron Range is a lot like West Virginia um, now or, or parts, like parts of Appalachia. And while you still have this strong Democratic enclave in Duluth, the rest of that district is, is tailing more conservative. It's one of those few seats that actually in the last decade has actually flipped back and forth Democrat versus Republican. And it's also a seat that we know that Trump has visited, you know, even this year. And it was, a, a, I, I was at that particular mm-hmm. rally, and it was a raucous reception. It was raucous. <laughs> um, and, and, but, but that's the way it is for all of the rallies that the president oh, holds. It is, it is. But it was a big rally up there. You were there. Um, that one does look like it's, it's moving in that direction, that that the... The, the Iron Range, I'm thinking, is just about flipped completely from Democrat to Republican outside of maybe the Duluth area. And that's going to be interesting to think about um, down the line because for so many years the Iron Range was part of, a, of, of an important leg in the stool for Democrats in terms of winning statewide races. All right, let's go down to the 1st Congressional District, which is another one of these sprawling districts that goes all the way from Wisconsin all the way to South Dakota. It really has sort of the, the entire southern portion of the state. I think people tend to think of it as kind of Rochester, and it's, uh, it's not. Um, this one really looks like a toss-up. It is a toss-up. Again, I checked Cook Political Report today, and the Cook Political Report only has about a half a dozen races that are still what it puts in the real toss-up category. And this, this is one of them? This is one of them, um, um, that it really is too close to call on so, many, uh, on so many grounds. You also look at, like, the amount of money spent. It's pretty even down there. It's in multi-millions of dollars. It's a very close one. Now, this is interesting. We don't really have good polling on that right now either. You know, we just don't have, right. you know, and, and, and for all kinds of reasons, polling is just so much more expensive now to do a good poll. And so I think we're seeing newspapers and organizations doing fewer and fewer of them. Um, but that, that one appears to be too close to call. And that's interesting because about a month ago, um, I thought Hagedorn had it nailed down. You know, that um, the polls that I saw, what few there were a month ago, suggested that he was opening up a, um, a near double-digit lead. Um, I've not seen any polls different unless you have um, everybody's telling me that it's too close to call right there was i think a ks poll ksdp poll that, that showed it basically within the margin of like two points you know which is basically a statistical tie yeah. um and you know it, it's interesting and you know you, you talk to these candidates and um i think i 
interviewed Dan Fian, it was just last week, and he was saying just the energy he's seeing, and, and you know, maybe this is hyperbole that all these candidates are saying that, but he said, you know, at every single stop, he's just getting, um, you know, huge crowds, and, uh, you know, that, 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 that does mean something, but it, it's obviously a very, very close race. It's a close race. Again, if I were handicapping at this point, I would give a slight nod to Haggardorn simply because um, even though it's not... A, he nearly beat Tim Walls two years ago. He nearly beat Tim Walls. Also, one of the patterns that we're seeing across the country at this point is that districts that are more rural um, are flipping and becoming more, more aligned with the Republican Party. Now, this is not like the 7th um, where it's overwhelmingly, or the 8th where it's significantly you know, more rural, um, but it's a pretty high percentage of rural down in the 1st District, and with the exception really of of let's say Winona and then sort of you know the Rochester area, it's it's mostly a rural district. Again, I would I would I could see it going either way, but slightly at this point, I would I would put it towards the Republicans. All right, listen, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go over uh, Congressional District Two. This is the Angie Craig Jason Lewis race, and also the third Congressional District where Congressman Eric Paulson is facing Dean Phillips. Uh, we'll get uh, Professor Schultz's take on both of those. Uh, keep it here, News Radio 830 WCCO. It's 8.48 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz. We're kind of breaking down these big congressional races uh, Congressional District 2, the rematch with Angie Craig and Jason Lewis, uh, the two polls that have been conducted here, uh, the New York Times-Siena poll had uh, Angie Craig up by 12. That was completed uh, on 929 to 10-2, which is just when the uh, Kavanaugh hearings were sort of going on. And then the other poll is the KSTP Survey USA poll that was uh, went from nine seventeen. So it was September seventeenth to September twenty third. They were polling, and that has Craig up by three. So the, these polls are not that far apart in terms of the time right. framework, but that's a big difference. <laughs> it's a big difference, but also I think the Siena poll, if I remember correctly, had a plus or minus ten on there in terms of margin of error. Um, and so I have that's that, that, that's uh, that's a pretty um, pretty bad poll to have that kind of a margin of error. Um, I suspect she's probably somewhere. Um, again, my, my in, you know, looking at the polling numbers and, and looking where I think that race is, she's probably somewhere around a three to four point lead at this point. Um, maybe it's a little bit closer. Um, I know you had her on earlier, and I was listening to the show when I was making dinner tonight. And 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 of course, I think you know every candidate wants to feel confident this time of year. But she's got a couple things going for her this year that she didn't have last, you know, two years ago. She doesn't have a third party candidate on the ballot this time who's going to drain votes away from her. Um, and then I think second is I think she's better prepared this time for for what the su- a surprise. You know, I think two years ago she wasn't prepared for a significant surge of, of Trump voters in one of the counties. And I think she's been trying to you know, protect herself um, on that a little bit better than she is now. And then maybe the third thing, too, is that I think maybe the Me Too movement um, is helping her somewhat. So, so, I, so I think you know, she's in much better position you know, than she was a couple of years ago. Yes, I think the polls 
two years ago, had her with a lead going into it. They did, yeah. They did, and she was pretty confident. But I, but I think the biggest variable is, is not having you know, that third-party candidate. The third-party um, candidate did very well, got 7%, 7% of the vote, I think 28,000 votes. Right, and I have to think that, um, a certain, okay, had um, Overby not run, a certain percentage of those people probably well, wouldn't. Paul Overby was the third-party candidate. Third party, correct, yeah. I have to think some of those people wouldn't have voted, but I also think that a lot of them would have voted for her because, and I know when Angie Craig was on, you were talking with her earlier about saying that Jason Lewis thought she took some votes away from him. Um, it, it, it would be hard for me to see how, um, and I have to be really sort of honest here, you know, she's a, a transsexual candidate, you know, running you know, fair, fair, as a fairly liberal candidate. It would have been hard for you to see how, um, had she not been running, those votes would have got over to Jason Lewis. Um, and this district also is is very – it was very, very close. Um, uh, Donald Trump won by 1.2 percentage points. So that, that really shows a deep division in that yeah, And district. that's consistent with when that dis- – the district lines were drawn for that back after the 2010 census. Um, most predictions were that was about a plus 2 percent Republican district. And so that's pretty consistent at this point for Trump to win it by, you know, not quite 2%. Um, and, and so now the issue is, has that district moved enough in the last two years? Has the changes in terms of how voters perceive Donald Trump, uh, is that enough to really sort of move a few percentage points? And that really is the question. And, and again, I, I, I think so. I think there is enough, especially with some of those um, um, you know, more affluent suburbs, you know, within that district, where I think some of the um, suburban women are going to come out in pretty significant numbers um, and vote for Angie Craig. All right. How about the third congressional district? I, I, and we don't, we don't have the final numbers on ads, but I feel like when we get the numbers, and, and granted, all of the advertising for this district, unlike some of these other districts. Um, are spread out in the first congressional district. I think you've got four different media markets. I believe one of the candidates in the first congressional district told me that. In the third congressional district, it's all right here mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Twin Cities media market. This, of course, is the district uh, currently represented by Congressman Eric Paulson. It's the western suburbs uh, of Minneapolis. And this one, uh, a lot of the analysis has it going to Dean Phillips. I do, and I'm going to even make it more interesting and say that whoever wins this race, Democrat or Republican, will be the bellwether for who controls the U.S. House of Representatives. Wow! Because um, I think this is this is this district is sort of the the perfect district that captures um, where or the battle lines are really drawn in the United States. It's an affluent district. It's also I, I, we talked about this before. It is the best educated congressional district in the United States. So. All those in the third district. I had never heard that. Really, if you look at the percentage of graduate degrees, undergraduate degrees, and so forth, we can just say to people in the third district, "You're the smartest district in the country." (laughs) Okay, so you you should feel pretty good about that. People in the third district are beaming with pride right now. They should be beaming with pride. I mean, um, um, and it's a district that that um, is is again the picture of where the Democrats expect to do well this week. Um, It's a district two years ago that Clinton won by 50,000 votes, even though Paulson won. Um, I suspect we're seeing a lot more 
hardening of partisanship in the last couple of in the last year and a half over Donald Trump. It has a very very high percentage of again of college educated women. Um, there's again polls suggesting that they are highly motivated nationwide and in Minnesota. And if all that comes together, um, I think Dean Phillips is going to win. The polls are suggesting that, and I think if he wins in that district, that is going to suggest that what. Democrats are probably going to win the U.S. House of Representatives. Well, it, it, it's still if if he can pull off that upset, right. uh, and I think most people consider an upset because it, it's very difficult to <laughs> knock off an incumbent member of Congress. But uh, and and you know when he when Phillips started out, I think people didn't give him a chance <laughs> just because of, of Eric Paulson's track record of, of winning elections decisively. No, you're right, and and he's and he's beaten some pretty good people over the last few years. But that again, that district's demographics is, cha- is, is changing a little bit. Um, but I think the more important issue really is is the fact that partisanship has hardened so much in the last two years that the chances of seeing the kind of split ticket voting that Paulson benefited from the last couple of years um, isn't it, it isn't there. I also think that he's done a tap dance around Donald Trump, knowing he's not popular there. And and we talked about this, I think, this last week. It didn't help him that Donald Trump endorsed him last week. Well, that's and that's what you know. Um, we were going to run the clip. That's what Paulson said. Uh, I asked him about that last week because he was actually in studio, and we were going to run it on the politics show. And there was a technical glitch, but I asked Congressman Paulson. I said, "Well, are you glad you got the endorsement?" And he goes, "Oh, it doesn't matter. It won't make a difference." And I said, "Well, is it going to help you?" And he goes, "Oh, it won't make a difference. Well, is it going to hurt you?" He said, "It's not going to make a difference." And I thought. It's going to make a difference, you know, in some way or another. I mean, oh, it is. It is, and I already saw ads this week. And you've probably seen them too, where they are reminding voters that in fact Donald Trump endorsed him, and that just sort of fits in with that. What you know, one of the ads that shows what Eric Paulson and Donald Trump pedaling a canoe together. Um, Paulson has to distance himself from Trump to be able to win this election. Because, again, in a district 50,000-plus um, for Clinton, for the Democrat, um, if he's not distanced from him, he's going to lose. Right, and, and I think that that's, that's what's, what's difficult is that in some ways I feel like Paulson's trying to have it both ways, and I think that's very difficult to do in that district. Yes, exactly. You know, in that district. You know, and, and as we pointed out, they're very well-educated. They're very savvy. All right, <laughs> the savvy uh, third congressional district. Well, listen, uh, Professor David Schultz, always a pleasure. We'll have to see what happens. I mean, it's going to be awfully interesting. It's going to be interesting, and and, and luckily for you, you got an extra hour of sleep. I know, I know, I know, I know. But Tuesday is going to be very interesting. I think they're going to be some very close races. None of us are going to sleep. I know. (laughs) All right, take care. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Good night. All right, the one and only Professor David Schultz. I invite all of you to tune into his or check out his blog, Schultz's Take. Uh, really, it's just it's so interesting because we've been talking about this election now for two years and it's at hand. Uh, so listen, please, folks, tune in to WCCO-TV Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 1030 a.m., The Politics Show with me and Pat Kessler. We're going to break it all down as well. And, of course, uh, WCCO-TV on election night, too. I want to thank uh, the producer of this show, David Josephson, who was also doing uh, double duty uh, on the boards tonight. Also, uh, thank you to Shaletta Brundage, who will be here overnight. And she's got to figure out how she's got a lot of hours to figure out how to do that time card right, Shaletta. Get that extra hour because you got to work an extra hour and you deserve the pay. All right, folks, have a wonderful evening. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. 
Whatever flawed they are, we're seduced. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.